Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as members, and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And don't forget to add so-called Oreos in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. so-called Oreos podcast, the podcast where we discuss all the awkwardness, hardships, and hilarity that comes along with society labeling you white on the inside and black on the outside, also known as an Oreo. I'm Janae Price, here with Kia Swinton, Amari Pollard, Rachel Fowler. <laughs> How's everyone's week going? What's what's up, girls? Tell me what's new. What's what's in life? What's going on? What are the hot deep summer? <laughs> it's summer, and I feel like are you, cooler. are you cool for the summer? I'm cool for the summer. First of all, also I love that song "Cool" by Dua Lipa. Check it out, best song ever. Um, I feel like it's weird because it's like, oh, we're still in a pandemic. Does anyone still wake up every day and, and wake up and like, damn, we're still in a pandemic? Or is that just me? Someone did a really good, or not someone. I just saw a really good tweet. <laughs> like it was a think piece. <laughs> um, there's this new movie on Hulu called um, Palm, Palm Springs. Springs. Yeah. And someone was like, because it, they keep on waking up in like the same loop in the same morning. And they were like, I feel like this is every day during this pandemic. And when I saw that, I really felt it. Like Groundhog Day. Yeah. Yeah, Groundhog's Day. Yeah, like we're in some alternate but it like dimension loop and we're just stuck in this like nasty ass spiral. Well, I'm moving in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. I may look all calm and shit right now, but I'm fucking stressed the fuck out. Uh, my apartment is a mess, but I'm also excited. I I I always hate like moving. I it's not my favorite thing to do. I moved a lot growing up, so but I'm excited that we're moving to like a new space. Is it um, how far is it from your current space? It's like a two minute drive. It's in the same apartment complex. We're just moving to a bigger apartment, so it's not that. Oh, that's nice. So it just opened up or something. Yes, it did. Yeah, so we've been waiting on this new apartment for about a month now. So oh, that's dope. Yeah, it's exciting. All wins. I feel like. During a pandemic is probably when you want more space. You know, when you're like stuck inside, you want more room options. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. I think a lot of people are going to like consider their space, especially with so many companies like considering work from home options. Because I also think, in, in, including New York, like if so many people work from home, I just, I don't know how many people's New York City apartments are like feasible for that. Yeah. You know, for long term. I'm really. I'm I'm happy right now that I left and came back for a while and that, you know, like I've been laid off from my job. My roommate has also been laid off from her job. Of us doing other things and not necessarily being on Zoom calls and having deadlines and stuff like that. It's like 
I'm like, okay, I'm going for a walk around the block or I'm going to be in my room reading Harry Potter, stuff like that. So, and even that has been a little bit like, oh, let me figure out where to be, when to be, but it hasn't been bad. Yeah. Freedom. Beautiful. Yeah. I, I feel not weird, but like I, so I just like moved, I shouldn't say moved, but after staying with my parents uh, for three months, I went back to my apartment and it was kind of weird to walk into my apartment and be like, okay, so this bedroom and this like living room that connects with the dining room that connects with the kitchen in this one small space is going to be like my permanent space. And it felt a little claustrophobic for a bit. Um, and that like, again, very privileged to be able to go to my parents in the first place and then also be in a house where we have, I could literally avoid them <laughs> if I wanted to for an entire day. Um, but yeah, space is good. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. Well, hopefully all this is over with soon. Yeah, you want to tell us what's new in uh, Black History? What's new in Black History? In Black History. Oh, good. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not new, but I'll give you some facts. Uh, July 29th. 1895, representatives of 42 Black women's club from 14 states gathered in Boston for the first national convention of the colored women of America, with Josephine Ruffin presiding. While the new organization emphasized its refusal to exclude non-Black women, Ruffin nonetheless argued that African-American women needed to take the leadership for their own welfare. Then all also on July 29th, but this time in the year of 1988, Haven German was born both deaf and blind. Uh, she is a disability rights advocate and attorney who became the first deaf and blind graduate of Harvard Law School in Massachusetts when she graduated with a Juris Doctor degree in 2013. Germa was appointed to the National Board of Trustees for the Helen Keller Service for the Blind in January 2015. Later that year, on July 20th, she attended the White House ceremony sponsored by President Barack Obama to commemorate the 25th anniversary of Americans with Disabilities Act. I'm upset because like, we hear a whole bunch about Helen Keller. Like she's the only deaf-blind person out there that's accomplished anything. And so, this yeah. is the first time I'm hearing... <laughs> Of this woman. <laughs> so a couple of things. Yeah. So these two I I picked uh, to go alongside our topic of privilege and disabilities. So yeah, um, Haben German and there's a picture with her with Obama. So I thought that was pretty cool. And we don't really talk about, you know, disabilities within the black community like we will be today. And then I also thought the first fact was interesting about the women's conference because they even said that they emphasize that we're not going to exclude any women. And I just feel like white people wouldn't do that. Um, so I thought that was pretty badass in 1895 when white people were worse than they were today. So <laughs> um, also fun fact, I don't know why, but for like all growing up, I thought Helen Keller was black. I think someone played a joke on me and like showed me a picture. It was like, that's Helen Keller. So for like 15 years, I grew up thinking Helen Keller was black. Now I know that's not true. <laughs>
damn you let someone clown you for 15 years i don't know how that happened i don't know if it was someone in school or like maybe i read something wrong and like got the picture wrong but like i think it was until like my friend who like her entire family and stuff and she i think she was the one that's like kia that hung color's not black and i was like oh you never watched like one of those biopics in school history channel with the bad acting and there was like a white helen keller you never watched no i remember watching that no this whole time i really thought she was black okay (laughs) i don't know what they were teaching in my school bro i i I don't know who told me that i didn't just make that up someone definitely told me or like played a trick on me I still think it's hey, my your fault for because you only I found out <laughs> unless someone t- unless your friend didn't tell you would you you'd still probably think Helen Keller was black today. I mean, I think I probably would find out found out on Twitter because you know Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Educated people. About Helen Kel- you know, remember when there was that Twitter meme with like Helen Keller, the Helen Keller memes? That was a thing a couple years ago. Kia, I and that remember what happened yesterday. That actually might have been the time I realized when I thought realized uh, Helen Keller was not black. I know so many people are listening to this like, wow, Kia's fucking dumb, bro. Kia's educating us about history and she don't even know (laughs) Helen Keller. (laughs) I do know now. I saw the sign. I know now. There was really Helen Keller memes. That was a thing. Uh, There was a song about her. I need to show you guys. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like there was a time when when black Twitter was like ha- was on this whole like Helen Keller thing and it was really funny but like messed up in all the ways that black Twitter. I, I vaguely is. remember this. I do vaguely. Yes. Okay. It wasn't just me. I did. I did. Let's see. But that's your black history, guys. <laughs> Hope it was fun this week. Okay, Amari. Oh, Amari, you want to go? Right. I was like. <laughs> Am I just gonna? Okay, I'll just transition into it. Okay. So, um, for this week's Black Professionals We Love, um, I just want to highlight this amazing Black creative who is getting a lot of um, spotlight recently, um, but is long deserved. So, like every Monday, I get um, every Monday night my night is simultaneously uplifted and destroyed by the HBO show, I May Destroy You, which was created by uh, Michaela Cole. Um, And I don't even know how to really describe this show. I feel like saying it's like a show about consent is just, just muddles it down so much because it's about this main character dealing with her own uh, sexual assault trauma, but then also talking about like the grayness of like modern day sexual interactions. Um, And as someone who has like experienced my own sexual assault and like the dealing with the trauma about that, having this plot and this story created by a black woman is like really meaningful to me. Um, And I think what makes this even more particularly special is that Michaela Cole rejected a $1 million deal from Netflix because she realized that it was fishy and that she wouldn't have proper rights to the show. And that also like on the back end, other people would be profiting more than her. So she didn't let Netflix take it and uh, HBO ended up picking it up. Um, And she's, you know, she had chewing gum before this. She, um, there is this like musical... I forgot what the movie was called. Um, 
been so long. She was in Black Mirror and Star Wars and Black Earth Rising. Like she's, she's it. Like she is it. Um, so I just wanted to highlight Michaela Cole. And if you're listening, but you're probably not. But if you are, I love you. Um, and no, I'll need she a, probably is. I'll need a job one here. day in a few months. So <laughs> look out. But yeah, if you haven't watched the show, into those DMs. I, I should, I should. Be. Well, she's not on Twitter and she's barely on Instagram. So. Oh, so stalk her house. <laughs> camp outside. All the way in England. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, I wonder if she okay, or if she's like made that move to LA that a lot of celebrities do. No, I think she's, I think what she does is she's based, I think she's based in England, at least I think based off all the interviews I've read about her, but she'll like go on writer's retreats in like the US, but she'll go to like small towns and not like LA. So. Oh, so she'll probably be in North Carolina. <laughs> Maybe. I'll go. See all the ways I'm making this happen. <laughs> and nope. the fashion. But seriously, people yeah, need to, I hope everyone was watching that show. Cause I feel like I don't know about you, but I feel like I've had to like have this conversation multiple times with people about issues of consent and just like modern day dating. And like, people don't understand how muddled the lines are. Like you can talk about like power, like differences, um, just like all these different things. Um, And so I'm like grateful that there's a show that kind of like that, not kind of, but addresses that. And I feel like I just want everyone in my life who I've had these conversations with to watch it so I don't have to re-explain myself <laughs> yeah I feel like you should definitely should have to keep explaining that yeah um I feel like the show might be a little dark for me but depending on the mood I am in I will check it out it's yeah yeah it's it's joyful but like I definitely walk away from it feeling heavy mm-hmm. I walk away from it feeling very like because I recently just caught up because I don't have HBO, but my parents have HBO and I'm back in Syracuse now. So I was like, let me watch these three episodes I miss. And I walked away being like, this is how these incidents of trauma are. Like when you're told, when you're told about sexual assault growing up, it's like a creepy man in a dark alleyway who is chasing you who is like seeking you out, who is seeking out someone to hurt. And like this show really just highlights the fact that most of the time it happens with people that you know, people that you may already be having sex with, you know? It, it, it just highlights the fact that this is not an easy situation. It's not just a crazy guy in a corner. No, it's someone you might already trust. So, good show. Yeah. But... We need to dive in, ladies and gentlemen. Let's dive in. Um, so today's show topic, we're going to be, you know, deep diving into to privilege um, and all of the ways that we feel that we have privilege because we've done a lot of work talking about white privilege and all of the current movements going on now as far as like Black Lives Matter. Um but I don't know, I, f- I feel like we just thought it was important to highlight our own privilege and how we're learning and growing and trying to change based off of that. Um, so to just give you like a quick definition of privilege, it comes from the Latin privilegium, apologize if that was pronounced badly, uh, meaning a law for just one person, a benefit enjoyed by an inv- individual or group beyond what is available to others. Um, yeah, so 
Social justice activists and writers have built on Peggy McIntosh's original essay on privilege in 1988, and they added and modified it modified it, Ella, modified the original list to highlight how privilege is not merely about race or gender, because I think a lot of times we only think about race and gender and I actually, or um, money. So I personally think that um, when black people hear privilege, the first thing is race. Um, and then when white people hear it, it's money. Um, and I think white people have a hard time realizing that there's different aspects of privilege in terms of like when we saw when LeBron James spoke up, uh, Laura Ingraham or whatever her name is, was like, shut up and dribble. Like you have so much money, you're irrelevant. Or like we hear that time and time again with Colin Kaepernick, people being like, why is he complaining? He has so much money, but it's like at the end of the day, they're not going to have, they're never going to have white privilege, no matter how much money you give them. So I think it's crazy to us to dismiss uh, one aspect of our lives would not um, seeing how we're privileged in the other way. And especially with like, we have these conversations with black men who will be like, yeah, I don't have white privilege. And then they'll like be incredibly sexist or homophobic. And it's like, but you have privilege. How can you not see that you have privilege simply because the way you were born or like your sexual identity? So I think in general, a lot of groups have a hard time seeing all the different ways and just what the list is, it's um, privilege in ability, class, education, gender, gender identity, passing, racial, religious, sexuality, and we can also consider age and location. Having privilege means having an advantage that is out of your control and that you didn't ask for. You may not even notice it until you educate yourself about its existence. Yeah, so it's like hard for a lot of people to kind of own their privilege um kind of like what key has already gone over because like the other side of privilege is oppression so some people are against talking about privilege because they don't want to they don't want to be framed as the aggressor or complicit in a system that gives them an advantage at other people's expense um and then other critics kind of look at privilege or mistake it as a blanket term that suggests that if you have privilege like your whole life has been easy and like that's not it at all. Like, I think, you know, like, like I am a black woman. Um, and obviously I've been oppressed because I'm black and I'm a female, but also I'm able-bodied. Um, you know, in America, I, I speak English and like language is, you know, being able to like, you live in a country where like English is the predominant language. That's a privilege. Like, so it's just like little things that people like don't think about. <laughs> And ultimately, privilege is not a concept designed to make people feel guilty or dis diminish their achievements. Instead, waking up to how you may have certain privileges is an essential first step toward being able to decisively act in small and large ways to use your privilege and make the systems we're in fair for everyone. Um, and, you know, in just in general, we have like our so-called Oreos group chat. And this kind of came up, we've been talking about doing this episode, but it came up for me and watching a video from a YouTuber who I love. Her name is um, Kat Black. Um, and she was talking about some drama that happened within the beauty community, which for me is oh so delicious to dive into like YouTuber beauty guru drama but anyway basically um i don't know if you guys know tati westbrook um 
Jackie Ina and Jeffree Star all had some beef. And Cat Black made a video about it, not necessarily talking about them, but specifically aspects of white privilege. Um, and in her video clip, she talked about how so many white people know racist people, they may not be, well, everyone, all white people are racist, but for the sake of this conversation, <laughs> a lot of white people will never betray or kick aside a racist white person that they have in their life. They'd rather keep that person because you're looking at people in your life who, it might be your father, it might be your husband, it might be your brother, who is inherently racist, but you would never kick aside that relationship, even if you had a black best friend. Um, so from there, talking about that and watching that video, um, Amari mentioned, you know, having a similar situation with that when it came to um, her relationship with, uh, you take it away, Amari. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like when, when she, when Janae first originally dropped that video in the chat, I was like, I completely understand what she's saying. And like, I agree, but I was also like on the flip side, I do have, I come from, again, this is not an excuse guys. And forgive me if I ever, you know, I, I, I'm learning still. So I don't want to come off like I'm being ignorant. And I'm, you know, I want you to know I'm conscious and I'm trying to think about my words carefully. Um, but I come from a really, you know, heavily Caribbean family, Jamaican. And I don't know if a lot of people are aware of just, um, the homophobia in the Caribbean. Um, but I do have family members that have said stuff that I don't agree with. And I feel it's very problematic and very toxic. And I'm very vocal about my opinions, um, about that. But I also don't feel like I would ever cut them off. Like how, like, you know, I, I think it's, yeah, I don't, it's, and that's, and maybe that's a privilege that I can like, not, I shouldn't say maybe that is a privilege that I'm choosing to, I'm acknowledging that I don't agree with what my, like what family members will say or like what people in my life will say um, about homosexuality, about the LGBTQIA community, um, but I'll still keep them in my life. Like that's a privilege. Like you're choosing to ignore something that you don't agree with. Um, so I was just coming at it from that um, perspective. And I, I think it's like, a I don't know if it's a lot to ask someone, but like I'm not comfortable with cutting, you know, certain people out of my life. So I don't necessarily know that I would expect other people to cut like their family members because they're racist. I don't know. I don't know. I agree. I agree with what you said, Omar, because it's like, how do you go about, you know, cutting that family member off? You know, I also come from like, my family's also from the Caribbean and there are like the ideology, what they believe in, you know, they're very like stern in their beliefs, you know? So it's like, how, how can we, it's, it's good that we're, at least we're speaking up about it. At least we're addressing, you know, what you said was wrong. But um, it's it's hard. You know, how do you go about how do you go about cutting off a family member who's homophobic or or racist? You know, or you know, just in general, like how do you go about or sexist? Like it's yeah, goes on. Yeah, Ali, I think if we cut off everyone who is like racist homophobic or sexist we probably wouldn't have any family members dead ass just to be real like i think that that goes for a lot of people like how, how many family members would you really have if we with just on those three like type of social class things um i don't know i think a lot of us would be surprised once we really think about it 
it's so interesting because like upon seeing her video as a black person and she's literally saying that you're sitting here posting black lives matter on all your social media while you're in bed with a racist right and i hear that and i'm like claps claps yikes <laughs> i know that's a lot of people but when i apply that to my own when i apply that to the people in my life and i take away my race and i apply it to homophobia ableism the fact that I am from a middle-class household, like when I apply to all of those things, I'm like, like that's, that's actually difficult to do. And I'm sitting here expecting the white people I'm around to cut ties and to rally for me, but am I rallying for different groups of people? Right. I think it's like you have to, Okay, so say you're not going to cut everyone off, but I think it's like you have to speak up and say something. So, you know what? Chances are we're probably not going to change um, your 56 year old parents' idea. You're probably not. Chances are they've thought that for 55 years. They're not going to change. But I think it's you can at least try to attempt to sit them down and talk to them or just speak up and say, hey, that's messed up because X, Y, and Z. And I think as long as you do that, that's doing something and that means a lot. Um, and I get everyone's parents aren't receptive. Like if you have abusive parents or your parents have a temper or your dad has a drinking problem, I don't know, maybe that you can't say something, but I think if you can, if you can say something, just say, it. you don't have to go on a full on debate. Cause I think a lot of people think if you speak up, you have to have this whole argument and it's a whole thing and it doesn't have to be a whole thing, but I think just speaking up a little bit goes a long way. I've also, gone. I don't reproduce for those people. <laughs> I think that's a huge thing. I, I still don't get why people are are having kids with people who are incredibly racist and homophobic. Like, have your fun, but please, please do not reproduce with these people. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Maybe it doesn't necessarily have to be a whole argument, but I guess like I'm like usually a hundred percent or nothing. So every time someone says something and I speak up, it's usually like a full on argument. And I sign. It's it's not, and then and then it also feels like because I'm very passionate. I get I find myself getting in trouble with certain people because they take it as me like attacking them or coming at them, and they're like, I just don't want to talk to you. And it's like I get frustrated because I it just it it really just does hurt in certain ways, and I don't think people understand that like even if I don't necessarily belong to this community. Um, it's still like your views impact me and like the way you think about things is hurtful. Um, and also like, I think it's like very, like, I'll just use like sexism as an example, the way men in my life growing up have like, just like said certain things about women. It's like, it feels so boxing and debilitating where it's like, I feel like I can't fucking breathe without being judged for doing something. And like, I particularly feel this way about like, um, women embracing their sexuality and deciding to like openly have sex with people before marriage and all this stuff. And it's like, I grew up listening to the saying that like, you can't act like a man and be expected to be treated like a woman. Like, do you like, and that's how I have structured my whole freaking life. Like, like any, like, it's just ridiculous. So, um, I feel like it's hard to have these conversations with people and not get defensive or like angry at them because it's like, how can you still think this way and like, be like, I'm a feminist, but like, 
if you sleep with X, Y, and Z men, you're a slut. Like that makes no sense. Yeah, no so sense. that's so funny because you you actually this sounds weird because like I'm like a couple months older than you, but no, you sound like me in college. <laughs> Cause I feel like everyone just knows like me from like if Kia speaks up about something, it's a hundred and ten percent and she's seeing red and she's just going off. But over time I'm just like I think because I feel like and I think I talked about in this in the ally episode, I feel like I just don't have any more to say. Like, I have a lot to say, but in terms of, like, I'm not going to be the one on Facebook arguing with you because I just feel like everything I do, everything in my work uh, represents my values and and what I have to say, especially because everything I do mostly um, is about Black people and Black women. Um, but I think with some people, like, Amari, if you're saying about your family where you know they've said so much stuff for you, like, your entire life, um, I think at one point, it's just like, you're just like, I'm not going to get to them. Like, like I think you can say something, but I think it's just like, if it's hurting your mental health where like you're getting so angry about it and you feel like you're going insane and it's like hurting you like mentally or physically, I think that's a point where you're like, I got to just take this L on this one because it's like, is it worth you? Like that person is just going to like go about their day still thinking the same thing, but you're the one that's going to go back, cry, be upset, all this stuff. And, and that doesn't really serve anyone's purpose. Like, you know, deep down in your heart that you're right and that your opinion is not on the wrong side of history. That person, like, we're just going to have to let God handle them at that point because it's like, we, we can't. I'm not getting to you. The only person that's going to get to you is you and your creator. And I'll let you handle that because I think some people can have that conversation, but I think we're at the point where we're getting so frustrated, uh, then it's time to take into account of like our mental health and like our self care. And like, are we damaging us more than we are helping that community? Cause we can't help the community if we're damaged. I disagree and disagree and agree at the same time. I think it's definitely worth looking at your sanity and fighting how much you can fight, but I think it's always worth it. I think I would want one of my white friends to fight for me when their parent says something racist and ridiculous. Same- I'm talking about all the time. There, I, it's not gonna be one or two times. No, I, like every, every time my parents, my family members, older family members say something that is out of pocket, I correct them. I correct them too, but I'm not having a full on hour conversation with you. Yeah. I'm not. My time is valuable. I'm not doing it every time. I will say something every time. Best believe I will. But I'm not looking in the red in the face, screaming at you every single time something comes up because it's going to come up is what I'm saying. I think there's a way to do it where it's like you're not going insane because, again, you going insane isn't helping anyone. It's not helping the community. It's not helping you. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's like a balance of like, yes, you're saying something, but you're not hurting yourself. Like, it's not doing us any good if we're like killing ourselves. Like, I I don't. I always say something, but I make it a dialogue. I'm like, I I just say correction, you know, Um, and just try to keep it very like, you said this X, Y, and Z. I don't think that this is correct. I think you should look at it this way. And I think maybe it's, it's an equal balance of like knowing that it doesn't have to be an argument. It can just be just like if you, if you said something grammatically incorrect or if you said something that was wrong factually, just correct it, move on. That's it. I think that, but there's also people who like, 
certain family members who's aren't, who's aren't, who are not just going to leave it at that. Like they're going to want a full on debate. And so if you have family members like that, I think that's something to take in consideration because you know, deep down how they're going to react. If you even say, Hey, correction. And they're now they're seeing red. Now they're ready about to fight, box you up, all this stuff. Is it really worth every single time? I just think like we all, we all think differently and we all have different family members. So I think I, I would just hate for people to, feel like they have to speak up, but also it, it drains so much out of them. I would hate to see that as well. Like that shouldn't have to be the sacrifice. I don't think you have to like really hurt all the time because you want to fight the good fight. If I'm making sense. I mean, for me, it's kind of like, I'm going to keep pushing until maybe that sounds wrong. Maybe that's not the way to do it, but I'm going to keep pushing until I keep moving you forward in the direction where you need to go because like we're gonna have to do this work and I'm gonna have to keep on pounding into you until you get this because like it's like if you can't recognize certain things like if you can't to me it's like if you can't recognize issues about sexism about colorism about ableism like I mean there's like parts of it have to like don't have to do with me parts of it's like if you don't recognize that you're not recognizing me and my humanity as like a black woman and I'm going to need you to recognize these things if we're going to keep on interacting in these spaces um do you think you're successful in pushing them forward like I do because I feel like seen I think with certain like I've had conversations with family members where like five years ago, I would have never thought like, this is what they would have been saying right now. But I think it's because we've had these conversations over and over again. And like, you know, I'm watching a movie and it happens to be like, for example, like it happens to be disclosure and my mom's sitting right next to me and we're watching this together because, you know, we're like, we're just going to watch a movie and it's going to be a bunch of trans actresses and you're going to, and it's not a big deal because these are people in their humanity and we're going to watch and enjoy it and like talk about it. Um, and I think it's also like go, the, how like you approach people too. Cause I think like what I've realized is that um, like, if I don't feel like arguing with someone or something, I will give like a source or something that they like can like, connect to or something or like with white people I feel like specifically white people I feel like they just when you say like white privilege they get so offensive and like it's just like a thing um so like I will go about it and like if it's a white woman I'll be like reverse it to like sex so like I'm like okay well what, how would you feel if like a guy did x y and z you're pissed like imagine being black imagine being like a black woman I just think there's ways to like because I'm talking about, because you specifically said, um, like, your reaction to, like, your family member and stuff like that. Um, well, I, I'm sorry, Rachel, you can go. I, I agree that it's important to, whenever, to correct someone, whenever they talk about sexism or homophobic, uh, being homophobic, like, I, I get that it's important to speak up. This, for me, I have certain family members who... I will correct them, but I won't go into, I won't go into like details with them because there's no point. I have a family member, whenever you try to bring it up, they will like reference the Bible. Every time they're going to reference the Bible every single time. So it comes to a point where I'm just like, why am I arguing with, I'm not going to keep arguing with you all the time because you're not going to, 
you you're, you want to remain ignorant and not want to learn about another community or about why women feel a certain way and why it's, it's not okay to say that oh a woman should only like cook and clean and um, be like a housewife. You know what I mean? It just it just certain things that they're stuck in their ways and and they don't want to break from that and it's hard to sometimes talk to somebody who is like that because you're going to feel drained you're going to feel like you're 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 not getting your point across and honestly like they're going to look at you like you're crazy like like what what are you like what are you talking about like like again like they reference the bible every time so like you're in the wrong for speaking up on what you believe in yeah i get that i'll definitely say that these times are like hard times. Like I, it's, it's interesting because right now with COVID, I think so many of us have been forced to be around older family members in a time in our lives where we are really forming our identities or we have already formed our identities separate from them. And I think a lot of us have had to really be confronted with having to address these ideals and kind of have these moments where we're like, am I going to say something? Am I not going to say something this time? Do I want it to be an entire debate over dinner or do I not? I just want to validate all of our feelings right now because like, this is a hard time to be doing this. And I don't know if any other generation of people in recent history has really had to do that so aggressively and especially because so many things are changing like no time right then then right now are people standing up for trans rights like people aren't people weren't doing that 20 years ago people weren't talking about that 20 years ago you know so this is a yeah i think it's like the i guess the bottom line is like definitely speak up um you just can't be like you just can't like sit in the, the backgrounds. But I, I think it's also like a balance of like, like Rachel said, like, you know, if you know a family member is straight up pulling out that Bible every time you walk in that door, chances are you're not getting to them. So just, just like take in account what your strategy is going forward, how you can actually push that person forward. Do they want, do they, do you see any type of leeway of them moving forward and like also taking account your mental health because some days it's just not it some days your boss pissing you off and you got 30,000 emails and you're not about it so you know it's, it's okay I think it doesn't have to be your day mental health piece is so important like where are you right now because 96% of the time I'm with the shits even if I know you're not going to be here for it some days I feel like being petty and perusing Facebook to see who I can argue with I do it I do. I'm all for that because we need that type of energy. I used to be that in college. Now, guess what type of person I am? I see those comments. I'm going to find your employer. And guess what? You're about to get fired. So we can take it another level. Like, yep. don't believe I'm out here not watching these comments. I will dead ass get you fired. I've done it twice. Don't try me. It will happen. And the email, this person needs to get fired. And we like, okay, let's ride. Let's ride get this person fired but anyway moving on to our conversation with privilege because we got real sidetracked we got real sidetracked um so just a little stat to throw out for you guys um according to cnbc 52 percent of americans are considered middle class um 
middle class privilege is something that I personally wanted to highlight because I know I personally come from a middle class two parent household where I grew up in the suburbs. Um, I was in really, really good classes. I went to a private college. Um, I know that there were times where my parents were struggling, but I never knew as a kid that my parents were struggling. I never wanted anything. I had all of my needs met. I honestly can never think of a time where I knew my parents were really struggling. And that, especially for Black people, I feel is a humongous privilege that so many, aside from Black people, people of color are not used to. So, yeah, I can, I can relate to that. And I'm actually like embarrassed of the way I acted as a kid, um, just because like, you know, I never, like, like Janae, you know, middle-class, upper middle-class family, two-parent household, never thought really about money. If I wanted something, I was going to get it. I was that spoiled kid who was like, oh, there's like 20 gifts under the, like the tree where, where are my other 10? Um, it was, it was, um, you know, like pretty, pretty bad. And I think I leaned so heavily into it because I was so aware of people's ideas of black people and how we're, there's like this blanketed idea that we're all poor and we're all struggling and like, we all need someone to save us out of the ghetto. Um, and so I felt like I had to like shove, you know, like my, my upper class, like, or middle class access to people. Like I was the person who like wanted all the Amber Combie clothes and all that stuff. And my dad really loves to, um, he brings up this instance where I told him and I didn't think about it at the time where I was driving with a neighbor and my sister and we're talking about, she was in her car. Um, and he was saying like, Oh, you're so lucky. Like when your sister graduates, you'll get her car. And I was like, I don't want her car. I want my own car. And here I'm talking, I said this to someone who like never got his car, like never got a car, like couldn't afford to like buy one for himself and like wasn't going to get one from his parents. Meanwhile, like I got a car before I was 16 to my parents got that for me so I could practice in this car. Like that's a, an immense privilege that a, like not regular regular people like deal with on a daily basis. Um, so I guess like as I've gotten older and gone to college and, um, you know, just expose myself to different people in different socio socioeconomic classes, um, and also like had to like pay for my own shit. Um, I think that's kind of you know definitely woken me up to the immense privilege I got money wise growing up. I think I was privileged having two parents, uh, growing up with two parents, having a two parent household, having that support. Um, they were there for to give me structure. Uh, my mom was there to take care of me and my siblings, and my dad was at home after school. He would be able to help him with like my math homework. You know, um, like Janae said, I didn't see my parents struggle, but I knew they struggled, but they didn't, you know, talk about it to, to us. They kept it between uh, them two. And I had, you know, classmates who didn't have two parents in the household, you know, and it was it was hard for them or not being able to afford like school lunch. Um, so, so small things like that growing up, um, I guess I didn't realize at the time until like, as I got older and um, being in different spaces and having friends who, who struggled and you say, hey, I may not, you know, my parents may not be rich, but 
I, I still have a roof over my head. I still have clean clothes and, and a, a hot meal every time I go home. You know, things like that, that we overlook or even sometimes take advantage of, um, that, that right there, that's a privilege that, you know, some of us have. Yeah, I think um, for me, a lot of it kind of relates to family, kind of how each of you, I think, touched on. But I think in terms of class has a lot to do with family. And I didn't realize this until college um, and a little bit after college where, you know, I was lucky to have parents to help me through college. And there's a lot of people who have to work three jobs just to even get through the next semester. Um, And then going to college again, where it's a state school and it's a lot more diverse in my home now, like hearing other people's ways of growing up and seeing like single mom households and, uh, living in the city and how, you know, sometimes they had to be on food stamps and stuff like that. So there's a lot of things I, I didn't have to deal with, but I think that also comes a lot from like a two parent household and, uh, with the two parent, not a two parent household, but I think, um, just knowing there's like two people at home and helping two incomes, helping you and two incomes, helping you with uh, college, not having to go to one, parent one weekend and one parent um, another weekend. You definitely hear that a lot because I think a lot of people feel it's interesting to hear people who kind of grew up in like not a two person home, a two parent household, because I remember when we were listening or watching Insecure, that season finale, if you didn't look at it by now, I'm sorry, whatever. But um, when Condola decides to have a baby and so many people were like why would she choose to bring someone in a not two-person household but I don't necessarily mean that that's like a bad thing I just think a lot of people like really um appreciate that and so when you have it you kind of just don't think about it it's just like oh yeah my parents but a lot of people like don't have that that privilege as well. And, um, I also think it's like a lot of people don't have parents to like teach about money or like maybe their parents like, you know, never had a saving. So that's also something where I've been like, Oh wow. A lot of people, like I, I watch a lot of my friends now and like, they're terrible with money. Like they take money out of their like 401k. They don't really have a savings. Um, and I know all of that if I didn't have my dad literally being like, this is your account at like 13 and I had to manage money like at 13, there is, I, I would be just like them, like buying money on like stupid shit every week, like just thousand dollars in clothes, like credit card debt. Um, and that stems into like your adult life. I think like, uh, I really like analyze like childhood trauma and childhood like relationships and how that stems into every aspect of your life as an adult. So now that I, I'm more aware of that, I definitely like that. And I'm like, wow, I'm super grateful that, you know, I didn't have to like grow up in like a bad neighborhood. And, um, a lot of people that unfortunately that look like us do, and it's, and you see the way people treat them and it's, it's really messed up. Um, but yeah. Or even something as simple as, um, Professor Jasmine, who was in one of our previous episodes, who is also my sister, um, she sent me over like a few privilege check checkpoints. And, and one of the things that I thought was really interested on those lists or interesting, sorry, on those lists was never having to consider um, other cultures with when it comes to like language barriers or customs. Um, I grew up in a mostly white area. Um, where my culture difference was really the only one I had to grasp. So that never looked like understanding 
different immigrant cultures or I would be lost. Um, or as simple as never having to consider inviting a friend out and them not being able to pay for going to the movies or, you know, uh, getting lunch or something like that. Those are things that I've never had to worry about. And those are things that highlight that a lot of the people that I associate with are really within that middle class bubble too. Um, so I think that's an interesting tidbit to highlight. Yeah, I think a lot of times it's easy for us to like forget that it's a privilege being in America just because as a black person in America, you're like, okay, it still sucks here, but and you guys still listen, like uh, have been oppressing us for like 400 plus years, but there is still a privilege in America. Yes, I just want, I just want it not, it's not arguing, but I think it's funny because considering everything that's been happening now, my dad like has continuously said for like the past few years, if I was, um, if I was like a little kid in this current time, like he would have seriously picked up our family and gone back to Jamaica. And like, I feel like when an immigrant, you know, you know, who idealizes like, I feel like a lot of immigrants idealize America when they're prepared to go back to their country of origin. I think that says a lot about the current state of affairs in this country. That's so funny. My Egyptian friend literally said the same thing. Like her parents are from Egypt. They have like a place in Egypt. And she was talking about how like, you know, she's an immigrant and um, her dad's like really considering like, am I going to pack up and leave because this country like doesn't take care of old people and like he's about to retire and he's like, I don't know, maybe I might just go back to Egypt. And that's just like, it's just crazy to me because I'm like, America really isn't this like, I, I didn't, yeah, I did this essay in college freshman year about how the American dream is basically bullshit. It was like my whole essay and I was just like, I, I don't get I don't get it. And maybe it's hard for me because I think even like white immigrants who come here are treated a lot better than me who I have generations here. And I have had white immigrants look down at me and I'm like, I live here. My whole life is here. My parents, grandparents, their parents have been here. You just came here like two years ago and you have the audacity to shit on me. And I'm like, why am I in America? Like why? My late grandfather, he came to America during like the 60s and he had a white friend in Haiti and his friend told him when you come to America we can't be friends because that's just how it is so my grandfather came to America and he experienced racism and he moved to the Bahamas and he's never been back to America since then he was just like I'm not not I'm not putting up with this shit I'm leaving America and he's been and he lived in the Bahamas for his for his entire life so. Yeah, I had I have a I've similarly similarly I've had a lot of family members come to America, realize they're not about the shit, and then go you know back to Jamaica or somewhere. But even in that, even that's crazy because even in that, there is a level of privilege. You have the ability to come to America. Some of you have the ability to come to America and then leave when once you realize that it's not what it presents itself as. But a lot of Black Americans do not have the the privilege to go to a different country, um, don't even know, you know, can't even do the full lineage of where their ancestors are from. Uh, so even it's, it's like, everything is so intersectional, like even, and even to just dissect certain levels of privilege in, you know, stories that don't necessarily present as being privileged. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. 
No, it does. Backing off of that, there are so many people who come to this country illegally and literally cannot go back. Like it's either I stay here where I can't get proper health care because I'm an illegal immigrant. I can't get a job because I'm an illegal immigrant. I have to work under the table. I have to worry about how I'm going to take care of my kids and send them to, to school and get them clothed and fed. I have to do all that. I either do all that or I go back to my country and be killed in the process or killed once I'm there. So it's like... Yeah, I think the immigrant life is, um, it, it's definitely different once you're like talking about a European immigrant versus like a developing country immigrant. Like those experiences are incredibly different. And um, just hearing those experiences with people, they're like, I just passed my citizenship test and like, you know, all that. But then other people is like, no, really, like, they're still trying to get their, like, grandma or someone here just it to took my, know, be here and live a little bit of life. It took my aunt probably 10 years to be able to even just, like, I think it's, I don't know the specific names for everything. I think it's, like, a green card or something to be able to come to, like, America. So when people want to talk shit about people, undocumented citizens, people or undocumented, um, you know, people in America, like, shut up, unless you've gone through that freaking process and have tried to come to this country, I don't think you can speak on, you know, what people are willing to do to even get a chance at a better life. Like that process is some bullshit and they actually really do need to ref- like just go back and edit all of that stuff because yeah, um, cause some people don't have 10 years to do like if you're in Mexico and the drug lord is around the corner and people are getting shot up every day guess what I too am about to cross that border best believe it like I, I'm going on the border like my baby's about to die like nah fuck all that I'm, I'm getting to America um another stat for y'all is according to the William Institute, 4.2% of the U.S. population identifies as a part of the LGBT community, which I want to say that I feel like that number is a bit low, um, but who knows? Um, But I, I, I just think that it's interesting to also highlight um, our sexuality in this conversation um, because as all of us seemingly identify as straight, we have a huge privilege in that where we never have to worry about coming out to our loved ones. We never have to worry about holding someone's hand as we walk down the street and being judged for who we choose to love. So that in itself is a huge privilege as well. Yeah, um, my thing about, sorry, let me go back to my notes because I don't have a good memory. Um, oh, yeah, I think with sexuality, it's it's um, an interesting topic, too, because I feel like the reaction to lesbians, particularly femme lesbians, are, like, uh, more so, like, positive and, like, oh, my God, they're so hot and, like, everyone just sexualize them, which is not a privilege. It's, it's shitty too, but uh, people tend to sexualize them. Um, but then if it's not a femme lesbian, like people like will pick on them, make fun of them. And then we come in terms of like masculinity. Um, I feel like a lot of people are just like very negative to like the men in the LGBT 
community because it's like, oh, they're just, they're not masculine or like they're not even men. Um, so I think it's interesting to see that gender dynamic in between the LGBT community. Um, but yeah, I think it is like, you don't have to think about um, how like people will like make a comment about your sexuality. I mean, I have had people looked at, look at you um, for like, who you choose to like date in public. And I will say, I will never want to experience that again. And it is not a fun thing. And I cannot imagine doing that every time you're in a relationship. Uh, it's, it's not fun. That's <laughs> all I'm going to say. I couldn't imagine being judged for who I love. You know, like that's, I couldn't. But it's like, it's crazy the like what people will choose to judge you on or like, you know, even the idea about of someone discussing my sexuality is so bizarre to me and so uncomfortable. And the fact that people feel like they have a say or like have a right to discuss other people's sexuality is, is just none of your fucking business. Right. And like, why, why are you so concerned? And also like what has, at least for me, like, growing up has pissed me off continuously is that every time, not every time, but there have been multiple instances where people will say something out of pocket. So people will say something homophobic and I'll address it. And then it becomes about, it suddenly becomes about my sexuality. Like in me speaking up for another community, my sexuality gets questioned. And that's one thing I feel like people like really need to curb just because you're speaking out against something. Like you don't have to, like you, like you don't have to, um, belong to a community to speak up for that community. And that's just like, re- that idea is ridiculous to me. Like everyone should be talking about this shit. Oh yeah, for sure. Everyone definitely, it's, to me, it's crazy the opposite. I think it's crazy that you wouldn't speak up about something because I, I feel like it's common sense. At least it's common sense for us. But like, to me, it's crazy how like, you know, we can't ask, we can't sit here as black people and ask white people to speak up for Black Lives Matter, but then when it comes to the LGBT community, we're quiet as hell. Like, I, just, it just, there's no, that doesn't make sense to me. And then again, yeah, like you said, like, the people that are willing to, like, fight people, like, punch gay people in the street, and it's like, is it really bothering you that bad? Or, like, trans I people, always, it's like, y'all are really willing to go to jail for it, murdering a person that's trans. It really says so much more about you as a human being that you're willing to attack someone else for how they identify, who they decide to love, then it says about that person. Like that person is just going about your life. And then I'm also like, why are you so uncomfortable? Why are you so concerned with other people's lives? Like that's like, that is the stuff you should be questioning. I think because they know deep down they have like, sexuality is a spectrum. Like I think maybe deep down they know like they're not hitting straight a hundred percent, which is fine, but they're not, they're not okay with that. And did you guys see euphoria? I feel like it was in that too. I'll do I haven't watched it cause watch I, euphoria. cause that's just going to get me depressed and it's been confirmed. It's not depressing. It's not depressing. I, I promise it's really good. I watched oh, a scene with Zendaya banging on that door saying, give me them drugs. You did this that's to me. That's the opening scene. And I was like, and then I watched another scene where she was so, depressed and like in this state that she couldn't even bring herself to go pee you're trying to tell me that's just not depressing okay when you see the whole overarching story it will make sense but they touch about it 
on the show about one of the characters being into like, like trans uh, women and stuff, but he was like very like mean and stuff. But I think deep down those people know that they have some type of internal, uh, I guess, desires that they don't want to act on and then they, you know, feel bad about it and then they like attack and they don't know how to like handle anger or anything. Just like Rachel said before, it ain't none of your business. It literally has nothing to do with you who someone chooses to love. And frankly, 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 if someone, especially when we, when I think about trans people, if you would go through the process of getting painful and traumatizing surgery, taking um, hormones, um, losing people in your life simply because of like who you choose to be, who you are, then I'm, I'm not gonna shade you for that. Like, I, I, just, I just don't understand taking the energy to like not accept someone it, is, it has nothing to do with me. It doesn't hurt me to accept you. Loving someone does not hurt. And it's like, I look, I can't help but look at the community with just like awe and respect. And also just like to see people so f- fully embracing who they are and living that life. I, I, I am a, as a person in like everything I do, do not feel that type of freedom. And I crave that. Like I, like I, like I crave that. Cause I feel like in so many ways as like, I just like feel so restricted in being, um, just like myself sometimes. And like, so seeing that it's kind of like, I don't understand how you can look at that. And like you said, like shade that or speak down to that. I think that's beautiful. And I feel like more people should embrace the differing parts of themselves. Like if we were all just fucking the same, like this world would be so boring. Like, I don't get it. I also think that's why some people are mad. They're, they're jealous that they can't, they can't be that free and expressive and bold, you know? So it, it reflects, you know, who they are as a person that they have their own insecurities. And we're privileged to be able to have this conversation right now. Yeah, yeah, but we're, like the fact that we're having this conversation, we're talking about different communities that we don't belong to, is like a privilege. Um, but like we kind of we addressed in the beginning, like we want to turn the table on ourselves and just like talk about ways that like we do benefit. When I walk into the room, you know, I I'm cisgender, so people the way people perceive me as a woman is how I identify and that is a privilege um and those are just like things that you just like never not never but like I feel like I didn't grow up being so aware of that yeah yeah and I know that that personally I've definitely had to grow with my own ideas um of this community I know growing up for a while I thought that bisexuality was not a thing. I thought that it was basically what gay people said when they were trying to kind of grapple with their identity of being gay to make it seem like they're still open to being straight, you know? And as I've gotten older, I've realized that that is biphobia. Um, It's not a good thing to think, but just Growing up in the environment I grew up in and really learning more about the community, I realized that that was some of my own um, prejudice that I had to work through. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I think people don't realize how much you internalize shit. Like, we all have s- 
we all have so much unlearning to do. Like internalized racism is a thing. Internalized homophobia is a thing. Internalized colorism is a thing. And you can belong to all like three of these. Like you can have all these three identifiers and still be dealing with like your own internal struggles with them. So yeah, shit's tough, man. (laughs) It's hard. And I feel like as you get older and as you learn and grow, you're supposed to um, tap this thing. You're supposed to talk about these things. You're supposed to look at how you've been culpable and how you've been a bystander and not helping these movements along, how you've just kind of sat back. And I think once again, like Amari said earlier, that's kind of what we want to do with this episode is address our own privilege and address kind of ways where we have not necessarily been the most educated in these topics and how we've just had an upper hand. Um, Because everyone has privilege, even as poor black women, we have privilege. So, yeah. Um, the, the third little stat that I had um, is that according to the CDC, 26% of Americans are disabled. Um, just a little personal note on that. I think when, when I read this stat, I thought about in my high school, how there were resource classes and classes for people who are disabled. And those classes were kept in the basement. So you literally did not see, see them. Disabled. It was like you saw kids that were disabled, and, and this even goes for mental disabilities. You saw these kids when you were roaming around the hallway, but in class periods and lunchtime, you didn't see these kids. And I think I didn't actually realize that until my maybe junior or senior year, where I became friends with someone who had a mental disability. And this is someone who on this fifth seemed like a completely average guy, but because he had a very serious mental condition, he had to take these resource classes and had to have classes in the basement. So he would just disappear for an entire day. He'd be like, where are you at? I see you on third floor. I see you on the second floor. And he's like, I was in the basement where they have classes for disabled kids. And that is insane. When you think about how this entire school went about hiding kids that were disabled in the basement that's not an accident that's by design ours was on the top level towards the back of the school and i only knew about that room because i was on the class council and my advisor was a special um special education teacher so she was always in that room so i always had to go there and unless i went to that room i would have never engaged with those students um yeah, so it's like you're literally, you're literally like placed out of sight within the school system. Um, and you're also stigmatized because people are taught to look at, you know, people with mental, um, you know, w- with disabilities a certain way. Um, I mean, for me at least, I have um, a cousin who, uh, uh, who is down he's he has down syndrome and he's nonverbal um so i've been very much aware of like my ableism um in certain areas just because like i have him in my life um uh and he's like he's just an amazing human being he i think he's 18 now which is crazy cuz in my head he's always just like a baby um but it's it's for me it's been special to watch just him as a person um, and just see how much like pure joy and like genuine heart he has. Um, but like, it, it also makes me deeply sad because like, I, d- I don't know, like I can't 
like it makes me sad to think about I don't even know like what his voice sounds like like I've never heard him talk a word so I think about his mom um my aunt um so just like things about I think and that's the thing and I think that's the thing about exposure if you're not exposed to people from different communities you're not like you're just not going to be able to wrap your head around that um and I'm not trying to use him as like you know like a way for like because of him and this is like you know um yeah, I just, I think it's like important for you to expose yourself to different people from different areas, because I think that gives you just like a more holistic view of the world and like how everyone's experience is. Yeah, um, I think with like ableism, it's, it's something that like, we're just so used to because we literally look in the mirror and we can see that we are able-bodied, so it's hard to forget it's easy to forget. Um, but I know a lot of times in like meditation and it's about being grateful and stuff and it's really being grateful about the small things first. So even having the ability to see or hear is like a huge thing. Cause I can't imagine like walking through this life, not seeing things or not hearing things or not being able to taste, touch any of our senses. Um, and how hard it is to like get around and how much harder it would be for like getting a job or dating or like a lot of us couldn't even have the jobs if it's a physical jobs we wouldn't even have the opportunity to do that or have a normal like college life or like college experience so I think it's things where that where it's like easy to forget but also good to reflect on in terms of gratefulness and for me I see it a lot when I'm in New York City and I see when I see people with disabilities like especially being um, handicapped or blind and I see them getting around the city and it one it amazes me because I'm like wow I literally don't know how you do that but two it makes me sad because it's such it's so hard like even york, to get to the subway new york city accessibility of, is not okay like you have awful. to learn you have to map out which subway stations have um have elevator access and like i think there, there's there's not enough so how are you yeah. expected to you know get around this massive city if you can only go to like 10 specific stations especially the you know boroughs like manhattan you might have more access but then you you go to the boroughs where it's cheaper to live you you don't have that access and i think it's crazy that we live in a world in a city like new york city that it's not a mandatory requirement to have that access just for people to get around so it kind of like makes me like happy for them that they're able to do this on their own but it makes me sad because I'm like I know sometimes you know I'm in my 20s it's hard to tell I'm tired as hell and I don't want to walk up these flight of stairs so I'm like that has got to be like how are you how are people getting up the stairs like or those those um, mothers and I think one woman died carrying her child up the stairs because it was icy and snowy in New York City and um you know, she, she, I think slipped and fell because there was no access for her to get her child up, up the stairs. And that's insane to me that, um, in this current year or even last year or whatever, that it's still so much harder for people to get around in a city like New York city. I'll definitely agree. I was walking down the stairs in the subway not too long ago. And I was like, if I had something like cerebral palsy, for example, where I need help to walk, this would be impossible. It's just, how, how can such a city 
just not. <laughs> just also not. the people too, because the people in New York are so like go 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 that if you walk like one beat off per second, like people are are, are literally willing to fight you. So I'm like I can't imagine that <laughs> you're going like a little slow because you have a disability or old. And you see people in New York like look at old people and give them the side eye after walking slow, and it's like bro, you know, homegirl's 95, and you're really about to do all that in the street. Like they don't care. And then people will blame you. They'll be like, why are you in the city if like. Like, literally, they're like, the city has an age limit. If you're, like, 60 or above, like, get out. That's what, that's literally what people will say. Like, why are you here? And it's just, like, do you not even, for, and a lot of people don't even, especially people who are transplants into New York City, who do not come from New York City. I am one of them. I realize there's a lot of privilege in being able to come to a city and then flock out of it when I want. A lot of people don't realize that people who grew up and lived in New York City, it's not that easy to li- to leave the city. Like, there's a lot of ties in there. You can't, A lot of people can't even afford to leave. Um, so the idea that because, um, because you're not fully able-bodied and, like, you would have to leave a place where you've lived your whole life or like a place that you want to live like that's insane to me that makes absolutely no fucking sense something my sister always says is that the privileged always blame the underprivileged to basically make themselves feel better about having privilege and i i even had to check myself the other day i was on the bus in brooklyn headed somewhere and the stop and we were stopped for like a minute and i was like I was irritated. I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, I was looking everywhere. I was like, what? I have somewhere to go. Um, and I realized that we were stopped because we were letting a woman in a wheelchair on the bus. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, you felt bad as hell, bro. I felt bad because I was in, I was, I was like, what is happening? This always happens on the bus. New York City, I can't rely. And then I looked and I was like, oh, it's a woman in a wheelchair, damn. I'm a dick. <laughs> I want to like touch on like ableism real quick. Uh, growing up with um, a sibling who had a disability, um, at a really young age, I knew how, I, I didn't know like it was considered privilege, but I was very grateful that I was able to uh, walk, talk, eat on my own, do everything. Like I was, I was mobile because my older brother, uh, he, he passed away two years ago. He wasn't able to do any of those things. He was bedridden for his entire life. And the doctors told my parents that he wasn't going to live past nine. And he lived to, um, to be, uh, he lived to, to the age 33. And, um, just, you know, I, the way I remember, try to remember him is, getting up and, and doing something with like my physical body because he couldn't. So I like go on walk during my lunch break because I'm able to. And um, I would never, or I would try not to just take that for granted because again, like I lived with someone who couldn't and I was angry. And, you know, I was, I was like, it, it makes you like think like, why, you know, like why this person, like why my older brother, why can't he do, do these things? Um, but, um, again, it, and, and at a young age, it's something that I always prayed, prayed about. Like, I was like, always thankful to have these abilities to be able to, um, go out. Something as simple as going to the corner store as a child or hanging out with your friends, you know, in the summertime. Um, 
something as simple as that, again, just being, uh, being mindful and, and taking time to appreciate the little things that um, you have in, in life. And I think like, like the shit, like life is so freaking random and the, the body in which you inhabit in this life is so random. It's literally just like, I don't think people understand um, that by whatever design, like, I don't know, like you were chosen to inhabit this particular body at this moment. Um, And that's just like random luck. Like you did nothing to deserve whatever, like, you know, like, right. Like the family you're born to is just like random. That's just like randomness, you know, Um, the, also like the process of like humans in the womb and like chromosomes and all that shit like do you know like how much stuff has to happen for like you to like be birth completely able-bodied like it's a miracle it's like it's a fucking miracle um and i think you know i've had conversations with people who just like can't wrap their head around i'm like you realize because you know and that's something that i've come to learn as like an adult like because of the family like because i was born into a family with these particular parents who came from these particular parents, I am where I am now. Like I'm very conscious of that lineage and like how it could have been easily so different. Like my life could have been so different. Should we move to time to talk mental health? this segment of time to talk mental health I wanted to touch on uh, mental health treatment being a privilege many people cannot afford Uh, according to uh, goodtherapy.org as well as um, different therapy resources such as Talkspace uh, mental health providers in many cities charge roughly 75 to 150 dollars per 45 minutes in so here's what you can do if you can't afford to go to therapy. One, check with your insurance. Ask your insurance plan to give you a list of providers who are either in your geographic area or who specialize in the issue you are seeking help. If you do not have insurance, try a training clinic usually located at universities where graduate students who are studying um, mental health issues, they can um, take you in. Three, try a community mental health center. They can provide free and low-cost therapy options. Read self-help books. Uh, This worked for me um, when I started on my my journey to um, bettering my mental health and learning about mental health. I started reading because I wasn't ready to talk to someone about it. Five, attend support groups, which are usually free. Um, Ask about discounted rates. Reevaluate your expenses and eight, check out podcasts and videos um, that post about mental health issues. We have a lot of resources like YouTube, um, Instagram, Facebook, um, the list goes on. So we have a, an array of options to learn about mental health. And therapy is costly, um, just to keep in mind that therapy is costly because therapists similar to a lawyer requires years of schooling. Um, All therapists have masters and some even have a PhD. In order to receive a license, therapists have to go through a lot of training and years before they can actually work. 
I hope these tips help you on your journey in bettering your mental health. Just to add on that, like if you're like having insurance is a privilege and if you don't have it and you want to seek mental health, that Mm-hmm. that's ins- like it like a, a 45 minute session can be like 250 dollars that's your copay yeah um i'll move on to the shits so crystal writes hi oreos I love what you guys do. Please keep up the good work. I'm writing in because I'm feeling a little stuck with a guy I've just started seeing. He and I have a bunch of mutual friends, and before Miss COVID started wreaking havoc, he and I connected at a party. When we talked, I realized this guy really hacked off most of my boxes. He's got a full-time job um, in his career field. He's well-spoken and clean-cut. Black, loves his mama, and honestly, so much more. The only issue for me is that there is a little lack of spark. I put spark in quotes because I'm not sure if that's a real thing or not, but I digress. Because COVID happened, our first date was delayed, so we just went out for the first time this week. We talked a lot, the convo was cool, but still no spark. I talked to a friend and they suggested I get to know him a tad more. Maybe that spark will come with a little more titillation. What do you guys think? Should I give it time or walk away now because of lack of spark? Uh, I don't know how to give up on shit. So I always have, (laughs) I really don't know how to give up on shit. Um, So for me, at least when it comes to dating, I always give people at least three dates um, because I'm like, okay, I've had situations where I felt a spark within like the first five minutes um, of meeting you. And there have been other instances where it's like, I haven't felt anything until knowing you for four years. And I'm like, shit, I'm in love with my best friend. So like, I think it, (laughs) I think it just, I think, I think you have, I think you have sparks immediately and I think you don't. So I think you have to give yourself some leeway and see whether it's going to be a situation where it's going to come on gradually. That's just me though. Yeah, so I'm the opposite of that. I, I feel like I give up probably super easy. And I'm like, within three minutes, I know it's not happening. It's not going to work. There's no Did way. you say 20 minutes? Three minutes. You probably. sound like someone on Indian Matchmaker where <laughs> she literally said... She sits herself next to the door at the same bar for all of her dates, and she gets there for eight thirty because she knows they'll start cleaning up at nine forty-five. And that's I'm not given. That, that. You just said three minutes. <laughs> no, I'm not going to give you three minutes. I feel like I know internally, but this is also in t- in in, uh, in years. So I don't go on a lot of first dates, but I feel like for you to even get to the I'm agreeing on a first date level, that's already a huge step. Like, I'm not agreeing to that for most people. So if you're getting to that step, chances are you, you have, like, a 50% shot of getting to the next level. Now, if we make it to two dates, you're probably my husband, I'm going to think, because I'm like, wow, you got through two dates with me? That's awesome. I feel like two dates, three dates max, but I also don't think people should be out here, like, wasting anyone's time. So, but I also... Um, I don't think you should be feeling sparks like immediately. Like 
I don't know if we're talking about the same sparks, but like the right person, it's not sparks. It's kind of like comfortable. Like you automatically feel comfortable. Also, there are different, like very like lady sparks. Uh, Like I want, like I'm, I want to have you. Like we can get on. And then there are like heart sparks. You know, (laughs) there's a difference. Be able to tell the difference between like being in like with someone and being in lust for someone. Okay, that is so true, (laughs) Mari. That's true, and I think that is a big thing that you need to be soul searching and figure out if you were looking for lady sparks or if you were looking for heart sparks. Yeah, and sorry I gendered that. It's whatever sparks you want. But just, like, know there's a difference between, like, being in lust and being in, like, with someone, you know? Yeah. And you know damn well when you're, like, in lust with someone. Because I know when I look at someone, I'm like, you're fine. I will jump on you like a tree. That's not my person. So I know, Kia, calm the hell down. That's not that's not right. But I know if I'm comfortable with you, which has only happened twice, I know that that person is some type of special. Because I'm like, this is the feeling that is needed. Yeah, I agree. If I'm comfortable with you and I can be myself, then yes. But also, like, we're also, like, in a pandemic. So I would say give it, like, one more try because he's probably, like, going through his own shit. You're probably going through your own shit. So I would say give it some time. I I would say give it, like, one or two more dates. And then after that, you can decide. Yeah, like, good point, Rachel. We're still in a pandemic. And so, like, the way I would approach it, and, like, I've kind of taking this time not to date and just like focus on myself. But um, if I'm going to do it, I'm like, would I, am I willing to go out and potentially like go into space, you know, with this person? Like, you, I feel like you have to be pretty confident about that person to then even like entertain the idea of a date, even if it's like outside a picnic, like you can, you can safely socially distance. Um, but I'm kind of like, am I willing to like, do I care enough of, you know? So I guess you can measure it about that. Like if after for like, you know, under normal circumstances, I say like, give it a few times, but under this circumstances, I'd be like, if you, if you want to quit, that's fine too. Crystal, search your soul. Well, if all hearts and mind are clear, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Follow us on social media at socalledoreos, and you can email us at socalledoreos at gmail.com too. And also fill out our new survey. At this point, it's not new. It's been up for a while. Like guys, fill out the survey. Um, Help us help you. Um, And you can also listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Please remember to like, rate, subscribe, and leave a review. Until then, bye. Bye. Have you ever wanted to go on vacation but was confused about where to start or even how to afford it? Are you someone that doesn't have the type A energy to plan every single step of your upcoming trip? Are you in your 20s or 30s more concerned about spending your money on travel experiences instead of the typical adult stuff like a house or the latest material things? Well, you're in the right place. Come all aboard on your Odyssey Awaits podcast, where a 27-year-old female travel enthusiast shares her impressive budget-friendly travel tips and quirky adventures from her international escapades. In this show, we'll talk all about the different ways to travel, how to make it more affordable, which places you should look into, and how to get by on your own or with a group. With the help of her many guests, Odia Zigwe will guide you in making your next upcoming trip by tuning in every other Tuesday. All aboard.